Well, I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So, uh, one of the cool things I'm trying to do, since I'm not actually in my car, is do some stuff that I can't normally do. And one of those is have guests call me on the phone, which is surprisingly actually hard to do on the in the car. So, today's guest is Michael Ryan. So, uh, he was my co-creator of the Weatherlight Saga. So, Michael, hello. Good morning. How's it going, Mark? Your, your drive seems like it's going well this morning. Yes, yes. I, I made it to work. So, um... <laughs> Okay, so what I want to do today is talk a little bit about, sort of introduce the audience to who you are and sort of how you got involved, and then I want to talk Weatherlight Saga. So um, tell a little bit, how did you come to Wizards? How did you end up at Wizards? Oh, I ended up at Wizards uh, in early 95, like just, I think, right before you did, because I had been an editor at the National Council of Teachers of English, but I was a huge magic player, and uh, the duelist... Y'all may remember the duelist was coming out on a somewhat irregular basis. So I wrote a fan letter and said, "Love your game, love your magazine, everything's great. Why are you always so late? Uh, if you need a freelancer to work on the magazine, I work at the National Council of Teachers of English. They make us be on time." And Watsi reached out and said, "You know, instead of a freelancer, how would you like to come in and work on Magic?" So I moved cross country from the Midwest and uh, settled in Seattle as one of the Magic editors at Wizards of the Coast. So I first met you, actually, um, you were the editor of my puzzle book. That's, I think, how we met. Yes. Yeah, my, my favorite story from, from that era was that you and I were working on your puzzle book and working on flavor text for uh, an expansion at the same time in the middle of the night. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. Mirage, by the way. <laughs> oh, it was Mirage. Yeah, it was Mirage. And we were both absolutely exhausted. Uh, there was a, a designer there named Kim. Kim was working on printouts of the puzzling book, and she'd come over and give us the proofs. We'd proof them, send them back, <clears throat> but we were also writing flavor text, and we had uh, we had the Dwarven... What, what, what Dwarven Minor was, yeah. Dwarven Minor, and we didn't have any text, so we didn't have any flavor text, and punch drunk, exhausted, you said, oh, I got an idea. Fetch the Pestrider, Paca, we've yeah. got dwarves in the rutabagas. Yeah. And we laughed for an easy 20 minutes and said, sure, that's final flavor text, let's put it on the car. I, I also wrote reparations that night. That's the... Uh, Sorry, I burned down your village. Here's some gold. So we were quite tired. Okay, so you were an editor. I was in R and D. We became friends, um, and you and I, we both have a a writing background, and so we thought it was kind of weird that Magic didn't have an ongoing story. So what? What do we? What do we do? We make a story. And it was an epic story. I want to say epic. A saga. In the room, we built a board. And said, here's how we should go across nine expansions. Uh, at that time, Magic was releasing two small expansions and one big expansion as a block. And so we planned it out in a three-act structure and said, this is what will happen to the first block. This will be second block. This will be third block. We're going to need a whole host of characters. We're going to need all kinds of weird settings. We have to have a big culmination. It was spectacular. It was epic. Yeah, so basically what happened was we put together a presentation like, we just made a story on our own, and then we went to the brand team, and we pitched it. We said, we think you should have a story. Here's why. We had a whole PowerPoint, I believe. And yep. uh, we and then we pitched our story. Uh, and they said yes. That, that, that was, uh, they're like, oh, this sounds like an awesome idea. And they, they signed us up. So I want to talk a little bit today, uh, or mostly I want to talk today about sort of the making of the Weatherlight Saga. So, um... 
What came first? Do you remember what came first? Sure, sure. I, I remember distinctly coming out of that meeting, and they were, the upper echelon were really excited about the story idea, but they were, in our in our scheme, a little too overly excited because the weatherlight expansion was, I don't know, two weeks away, three weeks away from going to print. It wasn't long. And they said, well, start it now. And we said, well, you know, we kind of have it plotted out this way. And they said, no, no, no. Start it now. We want the story to start with the expansion that's going to print in three weeks. And we went back and looked at those cards. Well, uh, it was a little before three weeks because all the art hadn't been commissioned yet. But, well, but yeah, it was late. We it was late in the process. Like we were, a lot of the art had been commissioned. Uh, and so we, we sort of fitted in late in the process. That is true. And there was some serious retrofitting that went on saying, well, we're not going to get a whole lot of story into these cards, but we can get some. So where should we put it? And that presented us with a whole new situation, which was we had we had Sisse as the captain of the weather light. There was flavor tax, and there was there was material associated with that. And we said, well, we weren't quite ready for her. Now what do we do? Yeah, so, okay, so let's talk a little bit. So the weather light and Sisse, you and I did not create the flying ship weather light, nor the character of Sisse. Um, that was part, uh, it played a small role in the, the, weather, uh, sorry, in the Mirage story. Um, I believe that she, uh, transported one of the characters, I'm trying to remember the story of the, uh, the Mirage story, but anyway, they played a tiny role, but we liked the idea of having a regular set of characters that we said, we're going to tell a story over time, we want you to be able to relate to somebody, so we need a normal set of characters, and we thought that, oh, a flying ship might be a perfect setting. So we sort of took the Weatherlight and Sisse, which what we didn't make, uh, and then we added a lot to it. We, we made the crew. The crew, there was no named crew, just with Sisse. So um, what, we, what I distinctly recall talking about, too, was sitting in a meeting and saying, with just the two of us, and saying, what are the, what are the archetypes here? We have, uh, we have the Weatherlight, which is kind of like, you know, the Starship Enterprise, it's kind of like Battlestar Galactica. It's kind of we. There are a lot of it's the Odyssey. There's all of these stories that have been around forever and ever and ever. What are the archetypes? What do people expect to see? What are, what are the popular ones that people will be able to gravitate to? And let's remember, in the in the same context, we have <clears throat> we have multiple uh, arenas in which to put specific kinds of characters. We need somebody to be, uh, you know, for, for white magic and for black magic, and we've we got a lot of work to do to make sure we that everybody has somebody that they can link up with. And we wanted to do a, a whole bunch of different creature types. We wanted to show off the breadth of what magic could do. So it, we didn't want the crew to be just human, for example. We wanted, I mean, obviously a, a decent number of them were human, but we wanted some other characters beyond just humans. Right, right, which is how we ended up, I seem to recall that one of the very first characters that we came up with was uh, the Minotaur Tongarth. I remember him being really early in the process. I also remember Squee being really early in the process, too. Yeah, I think and, we uh, wanted we wanted a Minotaur, we wanted a Goblin. We said, well, what would the Minotaur do, and what would the Goblin do? Um, and the Minotaur, I think the idea was, we liked the idea of um, one of the archetypes is what's called Proud Warrior. Um, we So Joseph Campbell wrote a book called, what's the name of the book? Um, Power of Myth. Power of Myth. And he talks all about sort of, there's certain story structures. And so we took one of the structures, which is the, the epic hero, right? The, um, right. The, the epic hero and his legacy and, and his history and the, right. the past. And so that he we, know. we use that as a structure. And then we use a lot of, we, all the characters we based on, um, character archetypes. 
So Tangarth was the proud warrior. Um, and you've seen the, you've seen this character and like the archetype is very popular, which is, is somebody that are at war, but they're very proud and you know, they, they have great care of what they do and they take their job very seriously. Um, and they're, and they're very, very loyal. Tongar's character was, was loyal to yeah. Sisse, had been first mate with Sisse. So, yes. you know, he's got that commitment and that devotion and you know that if, the new captain, who we'll get to, the new yeah. captain ever earns Tongar's loyalty, right. he'll have it forever. Yes. Um, okay, so, and then Squee, um, <laughs> we knew we want, we knew we wanted a goblin, I think we said, look, it's gotta be comic relief, like, what, 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 you know, like, how, we felt like that you couldn't have a goblin be too serious, because it wouldn't, like, the fun part of a goblin is they're funny, at least, I, I felt that the fun part was they're funny, so, we decided early on that Squee was gonna be, like, the cabin boy, like, just the comic relief, um, and I named Squee after I'd written a piece of flavor text for Relentless Assault, uh, which was, a uh, someone had written the, the first version was like a goblin childhood rhyme, but I didn't like it. So in the meeting, I rewrote it. Um, cause they said like, if you want to, you have to change it, you got to change it now. Cause we got to, we, 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 we're, we're, we have to be done with this. So it was like, uh, flog and Squee in a tree, uh, see something, flee, flee, flee or something. Um, yes, anyway, that was it. yeah, so Flog and Squee, I named Squee because it rhymed with tree, but I thought it was a funny name, and so when we were naming it, I said, uh, let's name him Squee, and you were like, okay. Uh, I, I also remember saying, we should bring Flog along at some point, yeah. I don't think we ever got back to it. <laughs> we never got back to Flog. I like to think that Flog was Squee's brother, and we, we, we never heard the story of Flog, so. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I, I think Tongarth and, right, Tongarth and Squee were super early, um, Gerard was also pretty early, I think. Gerard was early, yes. So, um, say, tell us where, where, where did Gerard come from? Gerard, Gerard was easy. Gerard was, um, you, I, I don't know if you remember the conversation, but I'm a huge Harrison Ford fan. I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of, Gerard was sort of like Harrison Ford's Han Solo and Indiana Jones combined with Errol Flynn's characters from, you know, the old movies of the Seahawk or Adventure to Robin Hood or Captain Blood. He was he was a swashbuckler, but he had this this flaw, this secret, this history that he had denied, uh that that he now had to step up for because people were looking to him. He couldn't go off and and be Han Solo anymore. He couldn't go off and say, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. Now there were people looking to him saying, You're the only one we can count on you got to step up. You can't just be this swashbuckler anymore. Yeah, so he... And, uh, the archetype he was is what's called the reluctant hero. Um, in the, the Joseph Campbell stuff that we were following, the person, uh, the main story, the main character, has a destiny, but at first they won't, they won't, like they try to walk away from it. And circumstances keep bringing them back until they finally feel the, the pressure of moral responsibility to step into the role. And even then, they're periodically looking for ways to get out of it. Can I abandon this? But the people around them keep the pressure on to say, this is you. You must acknowledge who you are. Um, okay. Right. So, yeah. So, Gerard was, right, kind of, normally you see that kind of character, the the roguish kind of character as a secondary character. Uh, and we thought it was kind of cool to make him the protagonist, which is something that we hadn't really seen in that. You know, like Han Solo is not the main character. Han Solo is kind of the, the, the right, side the character. character. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so we thought it was cool to put that person. We thought it was neat to take the rogue character and the um, 
the hero sort of in denial and put them together. We thought that was a cool combination. Which gives an enormous amount of clout when you do that to your other characters who might be considered secondary because they all have reactions to that and suddenly they come to the forefront. When your reluctant hero says, I don't think I want to do this, but the other characters know it's right, it should be done, you get that you get that immediate conflict. There's loyalty combined with the conflict of why aren't you doing what we expect you to do. It's it lends itself to great storytelling. So I okay, so I think the next tell me if I'm wrong. My, my remember the next character that we do was Hannah. Hannah, that's right. So remember uh Michael and I were involved in the story in the early part. We would not be involved in the later part. So in our original story, uh, Urza was not part of the story as it would later become a big part of the story. Um, so when we wanted to connect to the older story, and so we did that through Hannah. So we we knew that the ship, we, when we thought of the ship, we thought of stuff like Star Trek, like what are the roles you need on the ship? And we knew we needed somebody who was the mechanic, basically. We needed somebody that made the ship run. Uh, and I liked the idea of it being a female character, and I loved the idea that since it was a magic ship, that this person would have training in magic. Um, and right. so the, we, the idea we came up with was that she was Baron and Rain's daughter, uh, Baron being sort of the right-hand man of Urza, uh, and that she trained uh, at the magical school, at Teleria. She trained at Telerian Academy, but instead of wanting to be a wizard, she, she got involved with artifacts, and that, that, that would be like a big disappointment to her dad. Right, right. And her, and her dad, if I remember correctly, feeling disappointed about the direction she had gone, they had a conflict that, that was never acknowledged. He then, uh, he then trained somebody else. He, he trained another character. He trained yes, Urtai. He trained Urtai. Urtai. Trained Urtai. Right. right. So, the, so when we put Urtai, who was our sort of apprentice mage, we put him on the ship as well. There's a new conflict there because Hannah knows about Urtai and her Urtai's relationship with her father. Yeah. So, you know, because you're always looking for places where characters can either interact or conflict directly to get a more interesting story out of it. How are they going to work this out? What is the connection here? And once you understand the connection, ooh, how's that going to impact the long-term story? Yeah, and so the Hannah was our Hannah, and then Urtai were our link to the past because they tied to Tolarian Academy. They had an interesting relationship with each other because one was Baron's actual child and one was kind of Baron's protege. Um, and that, you know, Urtai, in some ways, he, had, he, he trained Urtai because Hannah rejected, you know, sort of what he wanted to teach her. Um, but the fact that she got really into magical objects meant that she made a lot of sense as our engineer, essentially, our mechanic. Um, and then I think we decided early on... Um, it was important to us be, to set up the story that Gerard was with the crew and then left. Uh, and right. so he, we... He had known Sisse, right. He had been first mate once upon a time. Right, right, right. right. And it was important that... W the reason when they come get him is not because they have no idea who he is, but they he had been part of the crew. And so um, we created a relationship. We, we wanted a relationship for Gerard and it ended up being Hannah because we wanted somebody who felt really abandoned when he left. Um, and so there'd be this interesting tension between them, but like they had had a relationship, but he, he had, he, when he left, he left for his own reasons, but she felt very abandoned when, when he left. And I thought there was, once again, we were trying to make, we wanted to tell a story for many years. So we wanted to make a lot of interesting relationships between the characters. Right. And this is where you get into the things that Hannah knew that, uh, that Gerard didn't entirely do. He knew that, that, that there was a past. But there was this thing called the legacy, which was all these artifacts. Yeah. So we were starting to come up with a story 
not just the characters and how they interacted, but what they were doing. Why, if they had been kidnapped, but it, this was all about this legacy, a bunch of artifacts that had to all be brought together to accomplish a greater goal, and we had to have a villain who was after it, which yeah. accounts for Sissé's kidnapping, and Gerard had to had to own it, had to go get it, had to find the pieces. That creates a long-term quest. Right, uh, well, and, so, so the, we made ahead. the villain, so Volrath, the main villain, we made very early, because in uh, Joseph Campbell, your villain and your hero have to have a relationship. They're, right. they're, they're not just... They're not just like strangers that just meet. That there's some that they they tie together, and so uh, one of the real common things to do is making them uh, related. And so we had them be adopted brothers rather than blood brothers. Um, not, and it's not. I like it's interesting because I when I first saw uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming out, and there was a, a whole line between Thor and some of the other characters saying, "This is your brother." He, and he said, you can't do that because he's my brother. And somebody says, yeah, but this is what he did. And he says, well, he's adopted. And I thought, oh, that's kind of what we did. We had a guy named Sidar Kondo. I remember coming up with... Yeah, Sidar Kondo and, was... And he had been sort of uh, Gerard and, and uh, Volrath, who was at that... Vool, yeah. Vool, Vool, had raised both of them, and then they went in different directions. And so that was sort of our connection there, is that hero directly opposite from villain and they know each other so they know enough to act on each other yeah and part of the, the story that we built in gerard was he as a baby he's given to sadar kondo with the along with the legacy and karms we'll get to in a second and said you need to protect him you know he's destined to do something important and evil forces will try to get him so we're hiding him away with you you need to raise him uh and then vool is jealous of sadar kondo's relationship with Gerard, because Vool is um, the actual you know, blood son of of Kondo, Sadar Kondo, but Sadar Kondo has this very creates this very strong bond with Gerard, and that's some of the source of the conflict between the two of them. Right, right. Um, so that brings us to Karn, who's part yes. of the legacy. Yeah, so let's talk about Karn because Karn, I gather, has really gained momentum over the years. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, it's funny. Karn and Squee are the two uh, crew members that are still. Still in the game, they haven't you know, haven't died or whatever. Um, so, Karn, I wanted, I really, really wanted an artifact creature, and I think I said Gollum. I think I, I think you and I talked. We said we want an artifact creature, and I think we decided a Gollum made a lot of sense. Yep. Right um, away. Oh, and so the archetype we wanted for him, uh, there's an archetype known as uh, what, what's the name of the archetype? It is the Gentle Giant. And the idea is, it's a character that's the most powerful character, but they're the, the sweetest, kindest sort of character. That while they seem really gruff, they're actually very kind. And we came up with this interesting story for um, Karn that he had accidentally killed somebody, and he had vowed a, a life of pacifism. He was a pacifist. And at, and at, the, and at the time he, he killed a human being, he was protecting Gerard. Yes. So that we end up with an interesting relationship between the two of them. And so when he rejoins Gerard on the Weatherlight, uh, he comes with this passivity, but this ability to be very, very powerful if he would set aside that passivity, yeah. which he's not willing to do. And w so one of the things that happens in the story uh, is Vool is jealous of Gerard, and so Vool sets up... Uh, these criminals come and rob and steal Gerard of all the legacy, including Karn, 
Uh, and that is all orchestrated. The, 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 Gerard doesn't know at the time, but it was orchestrated by Vool. And Karn and all the legacy get taken away. And the reason that's important is um, Sisse gets um, enlisted to go track down all the legacy. That That is Sisse's actual, like, major job. That That's what the Weatherlight is doing, is it's trying to find all the pieces of a legacy, and it spends years doing that. So here's a question for you. Do you remember where Karn got his name? Because you came up with it. Where did Karn get his name? No, I don't remember. I, well, I do remember, which should be past Hannah. I just want to mention. Yeah. Hannah, Hannah was named... We dropped the H off the end. I don't remember why. But Hannah was named after the D&D character that my then wife was playing, uh, as did Selenia later on, yeah. uh, an angel, also named for a D&D character that, uh, that Melody was playing at the time. Yeah. I don't remember where Karn's name came from. It came from the word Cairn, C-A-I-R-N. Oh, Right. Right. <laughs> Now I remember. So oh, that it's yeah. so a, a cairn is a bunch of rocks that's like a, like a funeral. Yeah, like a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's in memory of something. Uh, and because he was um, Karn was made out of silver, you know, made out of rocks, but I guess it was silver. Um, but anyway, so we we were, did a riff on that on that word. Um, I don't remember where all the names came from. I remember Karn. I remember. Um, like, Tongarth, I have no idea where Tongarth came or Gerard came from. Um, no, Gerard came from something that I had read someplace, like a sci-fi book somewhere years and years ago, but I don't remember very many. Um, I mean, there's a few that I know where they came from. There were some characters later on that were references to oh, yeah, yeah. Your, your mom and my parents. Yeah, 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 it's true. Uh, but some of, those, some of the early ones I don't remember really well. I remember talking about Crovax at great length. Because the, uh, you know the V sound and the X sound, you know, you know, this the Volrath has yeah. that hard V sound. Right. The V and the X uh, is a hard sound, and we wanted Crovax to be uh, to to seem simultaneously heroic and villainous. Yeah. So what? Um, so Crovax came about because we wanted a vampire on the crew. We so we wanted all the colors to get represented. We needed someone from black. So, for example. Gerard was kind of white-red, Tangarth was red, Hannah was white-blue, um, Karn was an artifact, Urtai was blue. Um, we needed black. And we loved the idea of having a vampire on board, but we, like, it's fun. We're like, well, no one's going to just let a vampire be on board. So we like, well, he won't start a vampire, and as part of the story, we'll make him a vampire. So by, by the I time he becomes a vampire, they're not going like, to throw him off the boat or anything. Right. And he had joined them... And you, I mentioned that Angel Selenia a little yeah. bit ago. Selenia was in Wrath, was on the plane of Wrath, and that was his strongest motivation. His family had been protected by Selenia uh, and dumped his whole family. And so he wanted to go and find this angel and bring her back. Well, he was in love with her, right? Yeah, he loved her, yes. And he, he yeah, there's a cursed artifact. There's a cursed artifact that produced Selenia. Um, and he fell in love with her, but that was part of the curse, I believe. Um, and he, he let her go and then she left. Like he, he freed her because he loved her and then she just left, but she had gone to wrath. And so, um, Stark, which we'll get to in a second, knew they were in wrath, but only Krovax knew how to get to wrath, which was why they needed Krovax's help. Uh, and that was through her, his bond with Selenia, I believe is how he knew where wrath was or how to get well, there. Well, it's 
since you mentioned Stark, let's yeah. talk about Stark. Okay, so we knew Sissy got kidnapped. Uh, we needed somehow to... How, how did they know who kidnapped her? Uh, and so we decided that somebody who worked for Volrath would have reasons to come and ask for help. Uh, and the help was that Volrath had not only kidnapped Sisei, but had taken Stark's daughter, Takara. Right. And right. so the reason Stark comes to them is he's like, I'll help you get your person if you help me get mine. I need to rescue my daughter. Um, but Stark is really untrustful. We like the idea of having somebody you couldn't trust that was, you know, like they needed him, but they, he wasn't something you really could trust. We thought that was a neat character. And I, I remember thinking at the time about Stark as if he were um, the sort of Kaiser Soze character, as if he knew all <laughs> kinds of things and wouldn't tell anybody and doled it out a little bit at a time uh, to get what he wanted, to, to advance. That he was very duplicitous. He, he didn't want to ever turn your back on him, but they right, really right. needed him. We, we liked the idea and of a character that he didn't trust. We thought that was a neat, a neat character. Um, yeah. Okay, how about... Oh, okay, and, so I, I, and I I happen to know where his name came from, by the way. Oh, where did Stark come from? Time. I had read about Charles Starkweather. He was a, a serial killer, and I thought the name Stark was such a good name. Starkweather seemed a little too much. Uh, that, that There's only one Starkweather that anybody would recognize. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Stark... Stark is a harsh name. It's got that hard K sound in it. And, it, you know, it's a word unto itself if you take the E off of it. And I thought... That's a good name. That's a really good name. We should do something. And then this character, as we were developing, as we were developing him, seemed to fit perfectly with that kind of name. Okay, next. Miri. So I talked Miri. about how we had white, we had blue, we had red, we had black, but we had green. No green. We needed a green okay. character. Um, so I, Miri came about because we wanted a character which was Gerard's friend, best friend, um, and I like, I, I don't remember, I like the, like the idea that there was a female character, but there was no relation, there was no, they were just friends. There was no, yes. nothing romantic about them at all. They were just yeah, friends. They had, they had trained together under an, another character. Mar, uh, Multani. Uh, Mar, Multani. And, and that was their background, that they knew each other. Well, and she, it was them and Rothellos trained. Right, right, and Rothellos. Yeah. It gave, it gave a character to whom Gerard could both air his personal fears or his worries about what was going on and who could offer criticism of him that could be out in the open to say, you know, somebody who didn't, wasn't beholden to him because he was, you know, the, the captain of the ship who could say, yeah, you're the captain and you're also a jerk. Stop doing this. So we needed a, a, some, an offset, somebody who could course correct the character without having to do it in front of the whole crew so he could maintain his, his persona of leadership. Um, and, and Miri was blunt. She's a very blunt character. Yes, yes. And we made her, we made her a cat warrior because I think Mirage had had a bunch of cat warriors and we thought they were cool yeah. and we, we just wanted some more non-humans. Uh, so we liked the idea that Miri was, was yeah, not human, was a cat. So um, she was, but by the way, Miri was designed to be a really, really good fighter and then weirdly in the story, the few times you saw her in the early story, she like, she, beat up. she got beat yeah. up and like that. <laughs> and, and then, anyway, so... Uh, the, the Mary's story is a sad one in the larger picture, but, uh, yeah, um, the other crew member we haven't talked about yet is Orem. Orem. So we, we really have this model of thinking of it like, like, like 
Star Trek or like that kind of show. And one of the things we realized is, oh, you needed a doctor. That was one of the things they always had. There's always a doctor. And so, well, who better to be our doctor than a Samite healer? We felt like, right. like what, what was more apropos for magic than a Samite healer? And so she was designed as a more minor character. Um, and then she ended up, ended up having a much bigger role than we had originally intended for her. Um, and, and if I remember correctly, she, she had a bit of background. She was connected to Hannah. Yes. Uh, she was educated in the same university as Hannah. They, they sort of had a passing acquaintance with one another. I, I think, think that's, that's right. They got her aboard, actually. I, yeah, I think, I think they were friends. Uh, right. I know somebody. Hannah brought Orm aboard. Yes, I believe that's correct. Um, remember where Orm got got her name? No idea. No recollection at all. So Orm was originally O-R-A-M, which is just Morrow backwards. Morrow backwards, yeah. Because, because we thought she's a minor character, we just gave her a, like a, a filler name. And then we just said it enough times, it sort of grew in us. And then to, to, we changed it to I am just to, so it, it would be a little easier to pronounce. Because A-M, there's like, is it am or um or, you know, so oh, we yeah, changed it yeah. so, we changed it to I am, but anyway, that's where Orm got 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 her name. Um, okay, so let's see. We're we had a we had a villain at that time too. Outside of Volrath, we had a what was what was Maraxis? Maraxis. Well, we needed a villain uh, in the story in the Weatherlight story so that we we liked the idea that Gerard had to save Stark from somebody that Stark was just constantly getting himself in trouble. Um, but Maraxis, I think, was a one and like. I think yeah, we took was, a character already in the Weatherlight. Yeah. St- we took a character already in the Weatherlight story, and then made made that character relevant. Like we took right. a card and said, "Oh, we'll we'll make this character relevant," and then because um, that character it was based on how big the creature was around it. So like Gerard had to send everybody away to be able to beat him. I think was the the, the story yeah. beat. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, another. So in- that- okay. Mm, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Another go important go character, um, Rafelos. Well, Rafelos, yeah. so, um, Miri and Gerard and Rafelos studied under Multani. Multani, so we wanted a, uh, a, what they call a mentor character, another part of the, of the Joseph, uh, Joseph Campbell. And I really wanted to get Amaro into the story. So we ended up making Multani, which was Amaro Sorcerer, be that sort of the Yoda, you know, of the story. Um, and he trained them. And the reason that that was important was the three of them joined the Weatherlight. And then uh, Rafelos gets killed by, I think, Maraxis. Maraxis. Um, not Maraxis, uh, by one of the, de- uh, I'm sorry, uh, one of the, the from, uh, from where Crovex is from. A, a, a Gal- uh, Mornfen Galibrate, one of them, one of them kills Rafelos. Oh, right, right, right. And it's the death of Rafelos that makes Gerard and Miri leave the ship. Because when the story starts, they're not on the ship. And we needed a reason that they left. And Rafelos, we we had realized after we had made the initial crew that we didn't, we hadn't made an elf. And I really wanted a, a Lanawar elf. And so we ended up making Rafelos our Lanawar elf. Um, and we made Selenia our angel. We we made the crew we're like, wait, there's no elf, no angel. And then we added them in so that the story would have an elf and an angel. Um, <laughs> See, now, under normal circumstances... There probably wouldn't be this wide of a variety, but you have to bear in mind, everybody, that we were writing a story for Magic the Gathering, and there are archetypes within Magic that had to be incorporated to fit the archetypes of the story, too. We didn't want anybody to feel left out. Right, we needed all the colors, and yeah, and we were trying to make something that would feel very magic-y. We wanted to get as many races as we could, and um, so anyway, I got, we got to wrap up, because I'm I'm almost to work. Um, But, uh, (laughs) So, made it to the kitchen, did you? Yeah, <laughs> made it to my den. Um, 
So anyway, I definitely will invite you back to some future time, Michael. Uh, we got we got the major crew, but there's all sorts of characters we didn't talk about, and we didn't we didn't even get to the story itself. We spent most of the yeah, time talking about the characters. There's, there's a story to be told, so let you know. Yes, I'd love to come back. Please okay, come. so I will definitely invite you back. So we have to wrap up for now because I, I am trying to keep my podcast to roughly how long it takes to drive to work. So thank you, Michael, so much. It was great thank having you, you here. Me. And I, I definitely want to have you back on, and um, we'll talk more all about the Weatherlight Saga. So anyway, I'm in my den, so we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. Drive to work. Uh, so instead of talking magic with Michael, it's time for me to be making magic. So I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.